Thursday, November 14th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to our Week 11 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And along with our usual set of weekly articles, you can find our final buy-sell-hold report of the season live at DraftSharks.com right now, with a particular focus on guys who can help you during the fantasy playoff weeks. A lot of big names in that one, too, and I think a couple of surprises. I've gotten a few emails from people like, are you sure we should be (laughs) selling this guy? One guy in particular, but... uh... Yeah, I think, again, we, we said on Tuesday, it's really about schedule at this point of the season. If a guy has a few bad matchups, I mean, that, that really hurts you when there's only a few games left. Yeah, and it's also getting a little late in the season to say, this guy is going to pop soon. I mean, when, you, when you're when you in Week 11, it, yeah. <laughs> there's not that much soon left, and we yeah. need it to happen before the playoffs if we're going to use him. So check it out. See if you can pick out the player that's been the surprise one and is generating emails. And if you can't, then maybe just agree <laughs> with us this week. We're going to touch on some shorter-term options. We'll touch on some players who might be fool's gold at this point throughout the show. Let's start, Jared, with Detroit. Dallas is heading there this week. Matthew Stafford did not practice Wednesday, and he's still listed with both hip and back issues. We know it's the back fractures that are the bigger issue. It doesn't seem like we should bet on him playing this week. Yeah, I think at this point, on Thursday afternoon, we should be assuming that he's not going to play. Jeff Driscoll, you know, the final numbers for Detroit's passing game looked okay last week. He threw it 46 times. The Lions ran forty, uh, they ran 75 offensive snaps. You sort of can't <laughs> bet on that continuing. So, obviously... A downgrade for guys like Kenny Galladay for Marvin Jones. Galladay did see a team high, uh, nine targets in that one. Good to see Marvin Jones at six targets. So I think they remain in the starter mix, but obviously downgrade them if it is Driscoll. Yeah, Dallas not a great matchup for wide receivers, but it's it's more friendly to wide receivers on the right side than the left or the slot. That would help Marvin Jones. I think it helps him a little bit. Like you said, though, if it's Driscoll instead of Stafford, it hurts. And I mean... I would bet on Detroit trailing in this game, so maybe that helps the the passing volume again. Yep, definitely. By far, the best matchup here is TJ Hawkinson Mm -hmm. against the defense that ranks number 28 in tight end coverage, according to Football Outsiders. He's not generated big weeks there's i'm not saying they're gonna be big numbers but the past two weeks seven and six targets for him only three catches in each of those but 56 yards 47 yards so i'm not saying tj hawkinson's a top five tight end this Mm -hmm. week but if you don't have like a top seven guy i mean three for 45 or 50 is like that's like tight end 11 numbers at this point yeah, I mean, like we said, it's week 11. I'm kind of done expecting Hawkinson to pop like he did back in week one in that Cardinals matchup. Um, he, Hawkinson did see six targets from Jeff Driscoll last week. Like you said, the matchup is good. Um, the, the Cowboys have actually allowed the third most PPR points to tight ends over the past five weeks. Here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> Ty Johnson, by the way, concussion. We'll see if he's back. Assuming he's out, J.D. McKissick's in consideration, but I think in consideration is the nicest yeah. thing I can say about him. Yeah, I mean, I think in PPR you can you know, hope to get 10 or so points out of him. In non-PPR, I would try to avoid him. Yeah. On the Dallas side, it's a great spot for Dak Prescott and his receivers. Dak and Amari Cooper both proved good against the Giants in their last road game. There's been some concern about last year's home road splits continuing into this season, but I think the numbers that they put up at the Giants should assuage any fears this week. Yeah, and Dak especially has been fine on the road this season. His weekly finishes in his road games are 3rd, 26th, 14th, and 8th, so he's only hurt you one time. This is a great matchup. The 
The Lions have allowed 15 passing touchdowns over their last five games. Cooper is still dealing with knee and ankle issues. He did not practice Wednesday, but Sunday night against Minnesota, he saw full playing time. Obviously had the huge game. I would not hesitate to use Cooper this week, you know, barring some change in his practice routine going forward. Yep. I mean, he, if he's active, he's starting for you. He, he's, Cooper is expected to see Darius Slay shadow coverage. Slay, though, he's he's 49th in PFF's coverage grades among 137 cornerbacks. So, you know, not, not a matchup to really avoid. Michael Gallup gets the best individual matchup in coverage. I think the question is whether Randall Cobb's moving past him. Cobb's coming off two games in a row of eight targets and six catches. I think, though, that they were situational things. Against the Giants, the Cowboys were playing a defense that was starting a brand new rookie slot corner. Last week against the Vikings, Trey Waynes, one of the outside corners, was out, so they slid slot guy Mike Hughes outside and pushed Mackenzie Alexander into more playing time. He's not as good. Looks like a player to target. I would bet that it was more that than Cobb growing his role in the offense. Yeah, and Michael Gallup still out-targeted Cobb last week. Gallup's uh, 10 targets. Gallup's seen six-plus targets in in six of his seven games this season, so the volume's been pretty steady. I like Gallup here. I think Cobb, though, is in play, too. Mm -hmm. I definitely prefer Gallup. But the Lions have allowed the fifth most fantasy points to slot receivers, so so the matchup is just as good for Cobb, even though I do think Gallup's still the better volume bet. Yeah, it's a great spot for everybody. Even Jason Witten faces a defense that's ranked 30th in tight end coverage, according to Football Outsiders. They're still missing Tracy Walker as of this recording at safety, so that only makes the matchup better for Jason Witten. I mean... The problem, the quote-unquote problem for the Cowboys pass catchers here is that they can only throw and complete so many passes. These guys could have a good game and right. still suffer for just lack of opportunities. Yeah, I think that's the concern with Witten is just if the wide receivers are getting it done, do the Cowboys need Witten? But, you know, if you're, if you're down there, you know, outside the top 12 tight ends, I think he's, he's a fine play. Yeah, weigh them all against what you have. It's, it's a great spot for everybody, and it's a spot where Dak Prescott could throw four touchdowns yes. just feed everybody. Yep. Jets at Washington up next. Washington is a one-point favorite at home. <laughs> the, it's a 38.5-point over-under, though. It's a game where you should try not to play people. On the Jets' side, I think Jamison Crowder looks like a weekly play at this point. Otherwise, I would prefer not to use any Jets. Obviously, Le'Veon Bell's in play. Yeah, Bell's an option just because of his volume. Crowder's definitely the top Jets receiver at this point, um, averaging 8.5 targets now in his games with Sam Darnold this season. Sam Darnold, he bounced back last week. It was his second best quarterback rating of the season, his third best PFF passing grade. So that's nice to see. The matchups here, it's fine. Um, but I think there are better spot start options this week than Sam Darnold. Yeah, it's a fine matchup, but it's not such a good matchup that you say, oh, Sam Darnold's going to go off here. Washington's allowed 17 points per game over its past four. Three of the past four opponents have totaled less than 290 yards. And the other was the Vikings, who only managed 19 points at home against Washington. This is a decent defense. I'm not going to call it a good one. But it's a decent defense against a Jets offense that has spent most of this season struggling. Yep, agreed there. I think the other guy in pl- sort of in play for the Jets, Ryan Griffin, with Chris Herndon out for the season now. Um, in weeks six through nine, where you know, Griffin was playing a significant role without Chris Herndon, Griffin finishes a top 15 fantasy tight end in three of those four games. So you know it's it's not going to be a ton of upside, despite you know he did give us that two touchdown game. I wouldn't count on that going forward, but I think again, um, you know, sort of in that Jason Witten range of a guy who, you know, can give you three or four catches. Right. It's a neutral matchup, it looks like, for Griffin. If he gets the ball, he's a fine option. It's the if that we don't know about, and that's what we can't answer before the game starts. He's had one game of more than four four targets all year, week nine against the Dolphins, just two other games where Griffin has reached four targets. So, again, 
if they throw it to him five times, yeah, he'll probably have a fine game. If they only throw it to him twice, then it's tough to do much. Yep, exactly. Not betting on Sam Darnold, as you say. On the Washington side, Chris Thompson was still out Wednesday. Wendell Smallwood was out as well, but it was just a rest day. Shouldn't matter because Darius Geis is back. Bill Callahan says he's confident that Darius Geis is going to play. So they've got a pretty good rotational system at running back to take care of both running backs. And Adrian Peterson, somebody asked him if he was worried about his workload. And he said, he said he's not. Coach Gruden was here. He's no longer here. So different scenario. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I'm going to monitor this situation. I, I try to avoid it this week. And we don't know exactly what the workload split's going to be like. And s- somehow the Jets run defense <laughs> is really good. I don't know how. You look at their personnel you know, on paper, it looks like it'd be a match matchup to attack I, I I tried to attack it last week with Saquon Barkley didn't work out well the Jets are second in football outsiders run D allowing just 3.0 yards per carry to running back so again I, I think try to avoid both Redskins running backs this week I agree especially because we don't know who's going to get the ball more and whether they're going to be able to do anything if you need one of them I would stick with Peterson ahead of Geis when we haven't seen Geis since week one yep that's it for me in this game. I mean, Terry McLaurin, McLaurin yeah. is. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm probably more excited about him this week than I should be. I just think. <laughs> uh, I just think the Jets' secondary is is worse than Dwayne Haskins. I mean, Haskins played okay in that that first start against Buffalo. Coming off the bye now, you know, maybe he takes a step forward. The Jets' secondary is just a mess. They're 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wideouts, and if you look at the box scores, they've really struggled against speedy wide receivers. Darius Slayton just had the big game against them. Chris Conley went over 100 yards. John Brown went over 100 yards. So I, I think McLaren has upside. I, I think he's a fine wide receiver three and someone to consider in DFS tournaments this week. I will give him that. Let's <laughs> hope that Dwayne Haskins is better than the Jets secondary. <laughs> New Orleans at Tampa Bay. The Saints are five-point favorites despite that loss to the Falcons last week. So Vegas believes in them. I think for good reason. It's a 50-point over-under. Down one and a half, but still one of the biggest on the week. The Buccaneers open the season with Vernon Hargreaves, Carlton Davis, and MJ Stewart as their top three corners. They cut Hargreaves this week. Davis is hurt. Stewart's hurt. So now they're about to hit this week with one of the worst secondaries in the league and (laughs) replacements for the guys who made it one of the worst secondaries in the league. So it should be a great spot for Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Should be. I mean, Thomas, Thomas will do his thing. Brees is a little bit of a tough call this week, and and it's not – it has nothing to do with the fact that he struggled last week. It's the fact that, you know, for a long, long time, he just hasn't been very good outdoors. And that's included in Tampa Bay. His last three passing lines in Tampa Bay, 201 yards, one touchdown, one interception, 245 yards, one touchdown, 257 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions. Those Buckstees, you know, weren't good either. The pasties weren't good either. So I'm not saying, you know, to bench Drew Brees. I'm, I'm just not as excited about him as maybe the on-paper matchup would say we should be. I'll stop short of excitement, but this is probably the worst Tampa Bay secondary that he will have faced in at least several years. Mm-hmm. So I'm certainly betting on Drew Brees this week. We'll see about the DFS stuff when we get to that tomorrow. Yep. Um, like you said, Michael Thomas is always in play. It should be a good spot for Jared Cook. The Bucks are terrible in tight end defense. Yeah, and he set a season high with 10 targets in his return last week. Ran her out on 76% of Breeze's dropbacks. Um, like you said, the Bucks 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. And, of course, they remain the top run defense, according to Football Outsiders. So that's the other factor that pushes 
things yeah. in favor of the New Orleans passing game. It obviously doesn't take Alvin Kamara out of lineups. No, Kamara's starting, obviously. Latavius Murray, I think, should go back to benches at this point. Um, he played just 24% of the snaps with Kamara back last week. Five carries, two targets. I do think he'll be back in play mm-hmm. in other matchups where they can get a lead and then run the ball against a you know yeah. run defense that's not this good. But yeah, this week I don't think Murray's close. Yeah, I agree. When the Saints are you know home favorites against weaker run Dees, I think. You know, Murray, and it should definitely still be rostered because if something goes wrong with Kamara again, Murray's back to an RB1. And in spite of the Bucks secondary, I don't think Ted Ginn is anywhere close to lineup consideration in any league of 12 teams or fewer. No, uh, Traquan Smith actually played more snaps and ran more routes than, than Ted Ginn. So if you're looking for like a DFS flyer, I'd rather take a shot on Traquan than Ted Ginn. Makes sense. On the Bucks side... Saints corner Marshawn Lattimore has a calf strain. Looks like he's going to miss this game, not practicing as of right now. That's good news for Mike Evans, who managed zero catches on three targets <laughs> in their first meeting. Yeah, good news for Evans. Good news for Jameis Winston. I mean, you look at the Bucks or the Saints secondary without Marshawn Lattimore, and you're, there's not much you're afraid of. So I'd be fine using Jameis Winston. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jameis outscores Drew Brees this week. No, I would, that wouldn't be <laughs> shocking. Ronald Jones is on the RB2 fringe because the Saints have been playing good rush defense this season. Really, what we have to find out is what the target outlook's mm-hmm. going to be for Ronald Jones going forward. It's obviously not going to be eight per week. He's obviously not going to catch eight passes per week. For this season, including last week, if you combine all of the Buccaneers running backs, they are averaging 5.1 receptions per game. So yeah. something more like three or four is realistic for Jones here. Yes, I think three or four is realistic, which is you know a big upgrade from what he had been giving us. We talked about on Tuesday, um, Ronald Jones' routes are increasing every week. Uh, Bruce Arians said, I think it was on Wednesday, that you know Jones is sort of improved in the passing game and has earned a bigger role there. So I, I do think we can count on the you know bigger role continuing. Yeah, I think we'll compare him to a couple other uh, RB2 level guys later in this. You got anybody else from that game? Um, OJ Howard, I mean, he, he did what we wanted him to do in that Cardinals matchup. But beyond that, his his usage was better, too. He played a season-high 99% of the snaps, ran a route on a season-high 76% of Winston's dropback. So I'm still not ready to say that he's you know going to be in that type of role going forward. And this matchup's not good against the Saints. So I'd probably try not to use Howard. But um, I think if he, he plays that role again, then he's, you know, to me, sort of back in as a weekly tight end one. I mean, I'll, <laughs> I'll play Howard if it's if I'm weighing him against, like, Dallas Goddard I mean, or still something OJ like Howard. that. Is, is it, good. though? Yeah. I, I mean, he's no, talented. Yeah. And if he's going to run around on 76% of the dropbacks every week, I think, I think he's a weekly starter again. Yeah, I don't. Uh, but we'll see what happens here. Denver at Minnesota up next. The Vikings are 10.5-point home favorites in a game with just a 40.5-point over-under. Last week, the Vikings played without defensive tackle Linval Joseph. They still only allowed 50 total rushing yards to Dallas with Ezekiel Elliott on Sunday night. That does not bode well for Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman in an offense that doesn't have the passing game threats that Dallas's does. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Lindsay and Freeman are both RB3s this week that I, I wouldn't want to use if I could help it. I agree. Noah Fant is in an inter... Well, let's say Cortland Sutton first, because Cortland Sutton's a weekly starter at this point. I think he's a wide receiver three, though, because of his quarterback. Yeah, wide receiver three is fair. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he spikes up beyond that this week, though. Um, you know, uh, Sutton saw 40% of uh, Brandon Allen's targets in that last game. This matchup's good, too. The Vikings 30th now in adjusted fantasy points to wide receiver Xavier Rhodes. Mike Hughes, both outside the top 100 cornerbacks in PFS rankings. Uh, Minnesota's actually allowed the most fantasy points to 
wide receivers lined up on the outside, which is where Sutton is for 82% of his snaps. Yeah, we'll see. It's a great spot for Sutton, assuming that other things are fine. I think Brandon Allen's going to be... I think he's going to get blown up. Yeah, I think he's going to get blown up by the Vikings line in this game. So we'll see how often he's able to get it downfield to Sutton. Noah Fant now is in a great spot for target volume. Only two defenses have yielded more tight end receptions than the Vikings so far this year. I think Denver is going to be trailing quickly and by a lot for all this game. Fant should see probably his highest target count of the season this game. We'll see if he actually does that. Yep. I mean, his role's already been on the rise since Emmanuel Sanders was dealt away. Um, Like you said, Minnesota's allowed the third most tight end catches, giving up the seventh most tight end yards. They haven't allowed a tight end touchdown yet. So, you know, they're eighth in adjusted fantasy points. But volume-wise, I mean, I don't think Sutton is a massive ceiling, but I think he's a pretty safe bet for, you know, three, four, or five catches. I mean, Fant, right? Fant, yep. Sutton, meanwhile, I mean, Sutton's well set up to be like a 35% of the yeah. targets guy the rest of the season. He is, yeah. Uh, on the Minnesota side, Adam Thielen was still not practicing Wednesday. You know, whether he's in or out changes the outlooks for some of the other guys in this offense. Stephon Diggs probably gets a Chris Harris shadow if there's no Thielen in this game. That makes Diggs a wide receiver, too. He's still an yeah. easy starter, but it's not a great outlook for him. Right. Denver's allowed the six fewest uh, yards per game to opposing number one wide receivers. They're third and adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers as a whole. So not a great spot for Diggs. A spot where I think we're just going to see a, a lot of Dalvin Cook with the mm-hmm. Vikings' big home favorites. Yeah, and I think I, I agree with that. I think Kirk Cousins is near the QB1 fringe, but for that reason. I don't think we're going to see a whole lot of passing. I don't think we're going to see big passing numbers. I would play him over like Jared Goff because I think mm-hmm. Kirk Cousins <laughs> is better than Jared Goff. But that's about as much as I can say for him. Yeah, I would play him over Goff. I'd play someone like Kyle Allen, who we'll talk about mm-hmm. over Kirk Cousins this week. Again, I just don't think the volume is going to be big for Cousins. And the Broncos have been tough against quarterbacks all season. Mm-hmm. Tight ends are both in play if Thielen sits. Mm-hmm. I would still rather play Fant or Jason Witten than the two. But, I mean, they're all kind of in the same mix. Yeah, they're all. I, I'd go Fant first. I just think he's the best target bet. Um, I'd mm-hmm. probably go the two Vikings over Jason Witten. Just I think there's a bit more upside to those guys. Um, Kyle Rudolph in these last four games without Adam Thielen's averaging 4.8 targets per game. Irv Smith actually averaging 5.3 targets per game over those last four. Mm-hmm. Solid dudes. Houston at Baltimore. The Ravens are four and a half point home favorites here. 51 point over under. So should be some offense in this game. Patrick Mahomes though is the only quarterback who has accounted for more than one touchdown against Baltimore all season. They've faced some bad quarterbacks along the way, but that includes, within the past three weeks, one touchdown apiece to Russell Wilson and Tom Brady. Yeah, Baltimore's secondary is healthy now. Um, They added Marcus Peters, obviously. Uh, Baltimore's up to eighth now in Football Outsiders pasty. So, yeah, I mean, Watson sits a little lower in our Week 11 rankings than usual, but he's he's still inside the top five. Yeah, he's obviously a starter, but I think the messages don't reach for his receivers this week. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, you're starting Hopkins. We'll see about Will Fuller. I, I do think if Will Fuller's back, it helps Deshaun Watson, but I would try not to use Fuller. And even if Fuller's out, I'd try not to use Kenny Stills. His Stills' role hasn't really grown in these past few games without without Fuller. Mm-hmm. It is a good spot, however, for the tight ends. Darren Fells and Jordan Akins, the coverage matchup is much better for tight ends than wide receivers. Aikens has topped 60% playing time in four of his past five games. Just one game in that span with more than three targets, though. So not a great bet for targets, but 
the situation this week could help his target volume. It could. Uh, another guy who I think I think Aikens would be hurt if, if Fuller is back this week, so we'll see about that. I do think Darren Fells is the better play among the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Fells has six touchdowns now over his last seven games, and he's tied for fifth among all tight ends with nine red zone targets. So, I mean, I think the touchdown production should continue to come in this good offense. Yeah, and despite Aikens playing more lately, Darren Fells has still been playing 79% or more in four of his past five games. That included 90% and 84% his past two outings. Three games of six-plus targets for him on the year. So they're both all over the place in terms of target count, but Darren Fells is the better bet. And like we said, if there is offense expected in this game, and yet there aren't a bunch of great individual matchups for Houston, then Mm -hmm. that, that pushes value toward the tight ends. Right, yep. It's a good spot for Carlos Hyde if they get him going early and don't fall behind. If they do fall behind, though, he's probably not getting the ball as much. And I think the chance that they fall behind makes it an upside spot for Duke Johnson. I agree. Um, yeah, I, I'm not very excited about Hyde this week. Um, I, I guess <laughs> as, as usual, as usual. Um, yeah, he, he only has 11.3 carries in Houston's three losses, and you know the Texans are road underdogs here. Um, Baltimore giving up 4.1 yards per carry to running backs on the season, down to 3.4 over their last four games. So I think it's a tough-ish matchup. Um, yeah, Duke Johnson kind of has the reverse splits, as you'd expect, of Carlos Hyde. Um, in Houston's losses, Duke Johnson, 7.3 carries, 4.3 targets per game. I think you know that type of workload makes him a running back three consideration in PPR leagues. And Baltimore's not great at its inside linebacker spots. It's playing backup safety Chuck Clark and Tony Jefferson spots. So... Maybe Duke Johnson is just a guy that they go into this game looking to use to exploit some matchups. I don't know. We'll see. I'm done expecting it. <laughs> exactly. But I'm curious to check what his DraftKings price is at yeah. least. Yep. On the Ravens side, I mean, it's all obvious guys. And I think the obvious includes Marquise Brown in a pass-friendly matchup. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about Brown this week. Houston's secondary, a mess. They're 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Houston's also allowed the 10th most completions of 40-plus yards this season. So I think you know Brown, a good bet for a big player, too. Not a great spot for rushing. So Mark Ingram, it's, it's tough to move many players ahead of Mark Ingram, especially yeah. when the team is home favorites. All he needs is a touchdown, as he had on last week's uh, otherwise poor rushing line. I might bump Joe Mixon ahead of Mark Ingram, mm. though, in our rankings. God, I don't like either guy, but so I, I guess I couldn't argue too much. I, in, you know, Ingram, he's been in that twelve to sixteen carry range pretty much every game this season. You know, the Ravens are home favorites here. I think he's a decent touchdown bat. But yeah, the matchup's tough. Houston's only given up uh, more than sixty six rushing yards to two running backs all season. So I mean, if you're if you're in a good running back situation, you're actually deciding between Mark Ingram and somebody near him in the rankings. Mm-hmm. Like Devin Singletary, we have ahead. I would play Devin Singletary pretty easily over Mark Ingram. Me too. Buffalo at Miami, speaking of Singletary. I didn't even realize that was the next game. Bills by five and a half on the road, over under 41 in this game. Honestly, I feel like the line should probably be a little bit closer after hmm. the the after Miami winning twice and with Buffalo not having a trustworthy offense, let's say. The, the, the Finns have covered in five straight games now, so they, you know, you they're, they're, they're crushing Vegas. There you go. So I, I, <laughs> I might bet Miami here. I would probably actually not put any money on either side of this game. Yeah. Josh Allen, John Brown, Devin Singletary all look good. Yeah. I don't think you have to really make too much of a case for yeah, him. Yeah, I, I like this spot as a bounce-back spot for Devin Singletary. He disappointed last week. The Bills just abandoned the run for whatever reason, but Singletary still played 68% of the snaps. Um, he got 62% of the running back carry. Saw another seven targets. He continues to play a big role in the passing game. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo comes into this game looking to you know reestablish the run. It's, it's a, obviously a good spot to do it. 
as favorites against Miami. Dawson Knox to me is only an option if I'm really reaching at tight end. Is is 58% playing time last week was actually marked a step down from the week before. Did see six targets compared with two of them the week before, but he's not a guy that you can count on. Yeah, I agree. I after digging into him more, I'm less excited about him than I was on Tuesday. I know I mentioned him as, <laughs> as a potential spot there, which I think he still is just because of the matchup. But mm-hmm. yeah, um, only a 57% route rate and then a 48% route rate in his last two games. Um, he, he did see six targets last week, and the others. I think there's a decent touchdown bet in this spot. Yeah, he's basically Tyler Eifert, really. I mean, I'd start him over Eifert, but yeah. No, they're pretty close. <laughs> At least uh, I, I do think Josh Allen's better than Ryan Finley from what sure. we've seen so far. Sure. Yep. Cole Beasley is not an option for me unless they get to a game where I think they'll actually be trailing. Right, yeah, that's a problem here. If we do think it's going to be a run-heavier game, I think Beasley's a guy who, who loses out on targets. On the Miami side, I am not touching a thing. Devontae Parker gets Tredavious White. Mike Jacecki yeah. gets a bad tight end matchup. And Kalen Balage sucks. <laughs> All right, so Parker, um, I think he's still in the wide receiver three mix, just space on volume. Ten targets last week, a 30% target share. I think he, that that type of mark could continue mm-hmm. with Preston Williams out. And he did catch five balls for 55 yards and a score against the Bills um, back in week seven. So not excited about him, but I think he's in play. Cam Balazs just like, you should like him this week. The guy yeah. played 82% of the snaps last week, got 20 carries and four targets. Obviously did nothing with those, but matchup's much better against the Bills this week. Um, Buffalo now 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. The only way he pays off this week <laughs> is if he breaks like a 50-yard right. touchdown run, which he has the speed to do it, but I'm not sure that he knows how to run in the right direction at this point. Like, if there are holes there and there have been against Buffalo, like, yeah, eventually he's just going to blindly stumble into one. <laughs> I would rather play J.D. McKissick than Kalen Balazs in a PPR lineup. I like Balazs. Oh, I'm going to just cut out that soundbite and play it on every podcast now when we start talking about the Dolphins. Jacksonville at Indy, unless you have anything else to talk about on the Dolphins side, you homer. Nope. All right. Jaguars at Colts. Colts are three-point home favorites, over under 43.5. I think the fact that the Colts are favored means that we're all assuming Jacoby Brissett will play in this Mm -hmm. game. Practice in full Wednesday, so it seems like that's the case. There's upside to him against the Jaguars, but there's also risk. Too much risk, I think, to even get him into the top of QB2 territory. Yeah, I mean, even if he was healthy, I wouldn't be super excited about him. I mean, it's kind of a neutral matchup. Jacksonville 16th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. But, you know, with the knee thing, um, I think it could limit his rushing a bit. I mean, you know, Brissett has averaged 15 rushing yards per game. That's sort of helped him a little bit. So, yeah, to me, Brissett isn't a... Quarterback one, spots are option. He's just a quarterback two guy. And even if the knee's totally good, we still have no T.Y. Hilton. We have no Paris Campbell. Jack Doyle missed practice Wednesday with a shoulder issue. We'll see about Devin Funches. He returned to practice Wednesday, but in a non-contact jersey. So that doesn't sound like he's yeah. on track to play Sunday. Yeah, I saw from one of the Colts beat writers this morning. I think it was just speculation, but he, I think it was Mike Chappell, um, doesn't think that uh, Funches will return this week. Yeah, it makes sense. On the Jacksonville side, Nick Foles is back under center. What does that mean? We're going to have to see. I mean, he played a terrific first quarter mm-hmm. against the Chiefs in the opener, but that that's all that we've seen of him with the Jaguars. Yeah, definitely a wait-and-see guy for me, you know, outside of two quarterback leagues um, on the road here. And the Colts are sixth in football outsiders' pass defense rankings. They're, they're a lot tougher against the pass than the run, so I think we see a lot of, a lot of Leonard Fournette here. Yeah, I agree. D.D. Westbrook was back to a full practice Wednesday, so he carries some intrigue. 11, 8, and 9 targets over his past three healthy games before he was limited against the Jets his last time out. Uh, missed a game. Five-plus receptions in four of his past five healthy games and five of his seven healthy games on the season. Yeah, I mean, D.J. Chark's been making the splash plays, but but Westbrook was leading Chark in targets before he started you know, dealing with these injuries. 
Um, his matchup isn't great. The Colts are allowing the eighth fewest fantasy points to slot receivers, but I, I do think Westbrook is, is a pretty good bet for, you know, like six to eight targets. And the Colts tend to be good at not letting players get deep, yep. so perhaps Westbrook is a more attractive target for Foles this week. Yep. Atlanta at Carolina, unless you got anything else from that contest. All right. Falcons at the Panthers. Panthers are five and a half point home favorites, so Vegas does not believe in that Falcons (laughs) victory on the road last week. I would honestly, if I were putting money on this game, I would bet the Falcons with that line, five and a half points. I would not, but I'm just going to be heavily invested in this game in DFS. Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) So Matt Ryan's a low QB1, I think, against a defense that's third against the pass. Worst against the run. It does help that James Bradbury, the lead corner for the Panthers, didn't practice Wednesday. Missed week 10 with a groin injury. So trending toward missing a second straight game. Yeah, and Dante Jackson, their number two corner, missed uh, practice Wednesday too with a hip injury. So that helps Ryan. He's, he's though, without Austin Hooper and Devontae Freeman. Those guys have accounted for 31% of the Falcons' uh, receiving yards and 47% of the receiving touchdowns. So, you know, Ryan's... Weaponry has definitely taken a hit here. We are, of course, only two games into the post-Muhammad Sanu era as well, so we're still getting used to life without him. You know, maybe he's not a, a big play guy, but he's been a nice little security yeah. blanket for several years. Yeah, I mean, what 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 was a loaded pass-catching core is really thinned out at this point for Ryan. The corner injuries would certainly be good news for Julio Jones, too, if those guys miss games. Last year, Julio Jones only had nine total catches, 92 total yards across the two meetings with the Panthers. Did play only 50% of the snaps in that second game, though. Yeah, I mean, Carolina's, and, and they've been good against wide receivers this season. Um, but again, you know, if Bradbury's out, and I think Bradbury's the guy who has, you know, spent the majority of those games on Julio Jones. So that's it's a matchup upgrade for Julio if Bradbury's out. Calvin Ridley scored in each meeting last year. Also saw only five targets in each of those games, though. So, I mean, we'll see. He's he's going to probably get a better individual matchup than Julio. Obviously, we're talking about the corner injuries. Every corner that's out helps everybody on the wide receiver depth chart. Yeah, and, and Ridley's a better target, but now, obviously, with Sanu gone and with Hooper out and with Freeman out. So, I think, I think Ridley's a pretty solid wide receiver, too. Russell Gage, I think, is in play if you're hurting with bye weeks, especially in PPR. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was up to an 86% route rate. Last week, saw five targets after seeing nine the previous game. So I, mean, I, th- I think he's a pretty good volume bet if you're, if you're hurting. Yeah, seven and four catches in the two games since the Mohamed Sanu trade. I agree. We do, though, get a matchup here that favors running over passing. And what does that mean? I mean, it means Brian Hill is going to get 20 touches in a good matchup. Like, I, I think I think he has started him as a running back, too. Over Todd Gurley? <laughs> yeah, I would play Brian Hill over Todd Gurley. <laughs> well, we'll talk. We'll we'll talk about Gurley, you know, at the end here. But yeah, I, I think I think Brian Hill. So he he got all eighteen running back opportunities last week after Freeman exited that game, and Kenyon Barner was active. Kadre Olson, the rookie, was also active for that game. Didn't even get on the field. So I think Atlanta's pretty committed to Hill as their feature back at this point with Freeman out. I, so if you're a DS insider, you already saw in our rankings that we have Brian Hill ahead of Todd Gurley this week. I, that was not, I was not the one arguing for that. I would absolutely play Todd Gurley over Brian Hill. I mean, so he's in a great spot for touches and he's in a good spot for efficiency against this defense. Mm-hmm. Fifth round pick in 2017. He got cut by the Falcons. He got cut by the Bengals, landed back with the Falcons. His offense is 20th in the league in scoring. Carolina's 12th in the league in yards per play on defense, middle of the league in overall defensive DVOA. So it's definitely a good matchup. I absolutely agree with Brian Hill being in RB2 territory. I do think putting him ahead of Todd Gurley, though, is is overrating him a little bit, and I guess overrating the certainty of what we can expect here. 
I think you're overrating Todd Gurley, so let's let's talk about him at the end. <laughs> All right, we'll save that. On the Panthers' side, we can both agree that Kyle Allen is yeah. a good option. The Falcons sacked Drew Brees six times last week. Before that game, they had seven sacks on the season, and Drew Brees was still only pressured on a third of his dropback. So it's not like the Falcons came back and were suddenly this terrorizing pass rush. What they did was keep... Drew Brees from finding open receivers downfield. Now, we'll see how much of that was the Falcons. We'll see how much of that is Drew Brees not having that many receivers at this point. For now, I'm going to go ahead and trust that the Falcons are not that good in the secondary rather than the Falcons figured it out over the bye. Right. Atlanta had allowed multiple passing touchdowns in six straight games prior to last week. So I'll bet on that versus the one game. Kyle Allen, too, has played better these last two weeks. He's actually 11th among quarterbacks in PFF's passing grades over the past two weeks. So that makes you feel a bit more comfortable using them in this matchup. Yeah, very nearly marched the Panthers to a tie, a tying score at the end of that game against Green Bay last week in the snow. I think he was in. I don't know. I don't think the ball made it. But in any event, obviously Christian McCaffrey adds um, receiving upside, adds passing upside to the team. And the Atlanta, for the year, has played the run much tougher than it's played the past. And, of course, you have DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, a couple of wide receivers who I think are, are coming on. I think they're both strong plays here. DJ Moore is up to PPR wide receiver 17, still sitting on just one touchdown all season. I think he he's in for that. Like I'm not saying he's going to score three times like Christian Kirk, but he's sort of in that Christian Kirk boat where I think touchdowns are going to start coming, and I think he's underrated in fantasy right now just because he's he hasn't scored yet yeah he's definitely one of those guys who could suddenly have that multiple score huge game where you need to have him greg olson i'm not buying that last week was a breakthrough or that he's somebody we can trust at this point i think it was three of his receptions came on the final drive Mm -hmm. of that game he had four targets uh before like the middle of the third quarter Right, and he had had five straight games of single-digit PPR points before last week. It was just the third time last week among the last six that he had more than four targets. Atlanta has been better against tight ends than wide receivers. They're not great against tight ends. It's sort of a middling matchup, but I do think this is a spot where you're going to see most of the action funneled to DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Christian McCaffrey, of course. I would easily take Jared Cook over Olsen, not only this week, but the rest of the way. Yeah, me too, easily. All right, anything else in that game? Nope. Arizona at San Francisco, the rematch. Niners are 11-point favorites in this one, the 45-point over-under. Kenyon Drake beat up the Niners two weeks ago, and he's not the only guy that's had success on the ground against them lately. No, the Niners have allowed 4.9 yards per carry through running backs over the past five weeks now. That's like the, I think it's the fourth worst mark in the league. And Drake played well ahead of David Johnson. And, you know, Drake's numbers weren't good, but if you watch the game, he, he clearly looked like the better runner. So I am betting on Drake remaining the lead guy here, and I, th- I think you know he's a better fantasy play than David Johnson, and I think Drake's on, on like the RB2 borderline this week. Yeah, and uh, so when David Johnson returned last week, and he said he was at full health, so <laughs> it shouldn't be that that was limiting anything. He played 43%, Kenyon Drake played 64%. The touches were farther apart. We got six total touches for David Johnson. We got 10 carries and seven targets for Kenyon Drake. So basically, David Johnson came back, and Drake was playing the David Johnson role, and DJ was playing the Chase Edmonds role in this game. Mm -hmm. Drake only got one total yard on his six catches, but, I mean, that usage means we got to treat him like the lead running back against San Francisco this week. Yeah, I mean... Cliff Kingsbury has no, you know, he, he's not married to David Johnson. And, you know, he was part of the 
you know, decision to trade for Kenny and Drake. So I don't think it's crazy to think Drake's the lead guy going forward. And really, you know, it seems goofy if you look at what David Johnson has done overall with the Cardinals and what Kenyon Drake did in Miami. But both of these guys are third round backs yeah. who bring very similar skill sets. So it's absolutely not crazy to think that maybe Kenyon Drake is just the better player. And he's probably got a lot more tread left because he was never really used all that much in Miami. As, as soon as they made that trade, I posted something on Twitter, like, you know, what if Drake's the best running back in Arizona now? And everyone went crazy, but I don't think it's crazy <laughs> at all. I mean, even if you look at, look at David Johnson's numbers throughout his career, he's been on the ground. He's been a volume guy. He's never been an efficient runner. Yeah. So it looks like Kenyon Drake's the lead back. You know, we'll see that we could be talking on Tuesday about <laughs> yeah. how right. David Johnson rebounded and touched the ball 27 times. But you know, for now it looks like Kenyon Drake. Yep. Kyler Murray just outside QB1 territory, I think. And basically, he's only that high because he can run. Yeah, and he had the good game, you know, in the box score against San Francisco two weeks ago. A lot of that was that 88-yard 80 touchdown to Andy Isabella late in the game. That that one play accounted for about a third of Kyler Murray's fantasy production in the game. So I'd use Kyle Allen over Kyler Murray this week. I, I think Murray's benchable for those type of spot starters. Yeah, I agree. Um, and let's hope that we get some more Andy Isabella yeah. in this game, but he's obviously not close to true fantasy consideration. No, yet. he's not He's not yet, but his role is climbing. He played. Uh, he ran around 30% of the dropbacks two weeks ago, and that climbed again to 37% last week so you know if he if he can get into that third wide receiver spot and he's still not there yet but if he can i think you know he, he might be a, an option in deeper leagues at least christian kirk is a weekly starter at this point you know i'm sure there are some cases where he's on your bench if yeah. you're in good shape but he's a weekly starter not in a great spot larry fitzgerald's a fringe option did catch all four of his targets in the first meeting but he, he's still been kind of a lower volume player over the past few weeks yeah, lower volume, and you know he's not making those big plays as he was early in the season, as we've talked about. He's actually averaging just 9.2 yards per catch uh, since week three. Tough being an old man when it yeah. gets later in the year. Yep. On the Niners' side, George Kittle is out once again. What does that mean, a tight end for the Niners? <laughs> Ross Dwelly, he, he ran a route on 84% of Garoppolo's dropbacks on Monday night. Saw seven targets. Um, I think he's not, he's not a safe option, but I think that usage... In this Cardinals matchup, you know, the Cardinals still the worst tight end defense in the NFL. I think Dwelly is a down-the-list spot start option. I hope that we get some clarity on what the Niners plan to do at tight end here because they did activate Garrett Selleck last Monday before that game against the Seahawks. He only played 12 snaps after being on IR. Not surprising that he played such a small role. Selleck's got a lot more experience, though, than Dwelly. I would not be surprised if Selleck is the one who plays the primary receiving role mm. at tight end this week. So, like I said, I hope that we get some kind of clarity yeah. here. Yeah, I mean, Selleck is the risk with Dwelly. I think Selleck is, is, has been, is especially now, more of a blocking tight end. He's I think he's 31 years old now. Even last week, um, Selleck blocked on nine of those 12 snaps. So, um, And Dwelly... He went to, I was looking up Ross Dwelly College stats this morning. He, he went to San Diego, um, but he caught 174 balls over his um, final three seasons there. So you know, he, he has a pass-catching resume. Isn't that the same place where somebody else from this class, this year's class was Josh Oliver or somebody? No, that was San, uh, he's San, San Jose State. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It's something out there with Sam at the beginning. Anyway, we'll, we'll see. I hope there's some clarity. It, it's tough. I think the fact that Garrett Selleck's there makes it a little tougher to – think that Ross Dwelly yeah. is going to be a factor and it's it's never a good idea to bet against a Selica tight end. And that is true. Um, I, I would use like Noah Fant and both Vikings oh, yeah. guys over Ross Dwelly. For sure. Uh, we'll see about Emmanuel Sanders. He's got a rib cartilage injury. It tends to be a pain management issue there and if that's the case 
I mean, Emmanuel Sanders has shown us he's the guy who's going to play through pain. Right. If he's active, I think you're starting Emmanuel Sanders. Um, I think Debo Samuel is a starter regardless of Emmanuel Sanders this week. I think Samuel obviously gets a boost if Sanders misses that game. But, but Debo's coming on. Um, you know, his playing time's increasing. You can tell the Niners are, desi- are designing plays to get the ball in his hands, and, and the matchup's good here too. So I, I think Samuel, wide receiver three, and you know maybe even more than that if Sanders is out. Yeah, Sanders has some managed pain. Debo wants to deliver pain. Jimmy Garoppolo, to me, his standing depends pretty heavily on whether Emmanuel Sanders plays. I'm not saying he's out of consideration if yeah. there's no Sanders, but if there's no Sanders, I'm a lot less interested. I'm probably playing Phillip Rivers over Jimmy Garoppolo this week. Um, maybe that'd be close for me. I mean, we saw Garoppolo smoke the Cardinals a couple weeks ago, but that was with George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders. I do think the matchup is good enough that, you know, he's still in play if those guys are out. Yeah, certainly in play. And Matt Breida, we'll have to watch him too. The ankle issue kept him out of practice Wednesday. We'll see what he does Thursday and Friday. If he's out, Raheem Mostert is an option right around the bottom of RB2 territory. I would play uh, Ronald Jones ahead of him, but it's not far from there that Mostert would be, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, he'd be right behind Ronald Jones for me. Um, Matt Matt Breda, as the Niners' number two back this season, has averaged 11.9 carries and two targets per game. I think that's about the value should expect for Raheem Mostert. Yeah, and there's upside beyond that. I mean, Breda did leave a couple of those games early, so we'll see. Breda and Coleman combined for 27 carries, six targets in the first meeting Mm -hmm. with Arizona a couple weeks ago. New England at Philadelphia. The Patriots are three-and-a-half-point favorites, 44-and-a-half-point over-under. Philly's up to ninth in overall defensive DVOA, Mm -hmm. so... I think we tend to look at them as a defense that's going to give up big passing stuff and limit the run, but it's not necessarily a blow-up spot for the Patriots offense. Yeah, Philly's up to 15th in Football Outsiders' pass defense rankings, and they've only allowed the 17th most passing yards and the 11th most passing touchdowns. So I agree when I was digging into this. It's not as good a matchup for Brady as I thought it was. Yeah, that said, I think it's still a pretty easy spot to start Tom Brady. Obviously, Julian Edelman is always a starter. Mohamed Sanu is wide receiver three, like low wide receiver three, mm-hmm. ahead of Philip Dorsett, who's seen four, six, and four targets the past three games. Yeah, I, I do think Dorsett is still in play, though. I agree that I prefer Mohamed Sanu, but you know, Dorsett still played 99% of the snaps last time out, and he's averaged a little over five targets per game um, in his seven healthy games this season. And I do think that there's a chance we get like 45 plus pass attempts from the Patriots yeah. as the game plan. Here. Yeah, I mean, the Eagles' pass defense has improved, but they're still much tougher against the run. So, I, you know, I think Belichick knows what he's doing, and he should come out with a pass-heavy game plan here. I don't like Sonny Michel at all in this matchup. Not only do the Eagles play the run tough, but they are especially tough up the middle, which is the main area where Sonny Michel goes. Mm-hmm. I think it's an upside spot for James White because of that, especially against a linebacking core that look, looks like it's still going to miss Nigel Bradham. Yeah, um, Michelle's going to have to score a touchdown to pay off in fantasy. So, you know, if you want to gamble on that, that's your call. J- James White, the better play here. I- I'd play White over Michelle even in non-PPR this week. I agree. I think that's it for the New England side for me. Ben Watson, I think, is an option in better matchups, but but this isn't a good matchup. The Eagles 10th in football outsiders head in coverage. Right. If I think if he's an option for you, then you're looking down the range where <laughs> you're not really making a case for anybody. You're just grabbing somebody because... They are involved, pretty much. I'd use Ross Dwelly over Ben Watson this week. I would play Ben Watson over Ross Dwelly. I wouldn't bother rostering (laughs) Dwelly, unless we know that he's going to keep playing ahead of Garrett Selleck in the passing game. Uh, On the Philly side, Alshon Jeffrey has an ankle injury, might not play in this game. I'm not touching any other Philly receiver anyway. I would prefer not to use Jeffrey, even if he's active for this game. 
I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Matthews leads the wide receivers and targets <laughs> if uh, Alshon Jeffrey's out. Yeah, agree on not touching the wide receivers. Um, I would try not to use Carson Wentz here. Um, oh, God, yeah. Wentz has finished outside the top 18 fantasy quarterbacks in four of his last five games now. And, you know, this is the toughest matchup he's faced all season. I, I do think Jeffrey's injury, and especially if he's out, will push more targets toward Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. I would pretty easily rather play Jacoby Brissett this week than Carson Wentz. Yep, so would I. Uh, I think Dallas Goddard gains upside with the Jeffrey injury, but I wouldn't overplay the upside because all the Patriots' safeties, all of their corners, Jamie Collins and Dante Hightower are all solid to strong in coverage. Yep, yeah, it's it's not a good spot, but again, I think Goddard, he's, he's averaged five and a half targets per game over mm-hmm. the last four, and I think if Jeffrey's out, you know, he, he could see even a bit more volume. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a chance that we get 10 Zach Ertz targets and seven to eight. Yep. Um, Dallas Goddard targets here, yep. and they could just, you know, be options on volume. Jordan Howard should be the focal point. It's a soft run defense. Jared, I know you pointed out yeah. before the Baltimore matchup two weeks ago. Uh, yeah, the Patriots have now allowed 5.3 yards per carry to running backs over their last five games now. So, you know, we, we talked about the Pats should attack through the air. The Eagles should be attacking on the ground here. And, you know, at least heading into the bye week, Howard was the clear lead ball carrier for the Eagles. Yeah, so a definite upside to him. My concern here is that the Eagles, especially with the Jeffrey injury, yeah. have like so little that they could really attack you with at this point that we could see a different front from the Patriots where they go really big up front. They make it tougher to run between the tackles because they don't trust uh, Jordan Howard to make them pay outside the tackles. So I, it's it's not like a don't play Jordan Howard, but yeah. it's like this is the one team in the league that's like, okay, this is the thing we've been doing wrong. This is the thing they've been doing well. This is what we can do to yes. fix that thing to stop their thing. Yeah, I, th- that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, I don't expect the Eagles to have much success in general in this game on mm-hmm. offense. So I'm not super excited about Howard. I'm, you know, I, I wouldn't like consider him in DFS, but I think in season long, he's like a fine RB2. Yeah, I agree with that. I do think there's some fringe upside to Miles Sanders because maybe he's a guy who has a shot to give the Patriots a little bit of trouble. But that said... He's not getting that many touches, and right. I mean, betting on somebody giving the Patriots trouble is not a great bet. Yeah, I mean, Sanders has averaged just five and a half carries and three targets per game over his last four and out. Maybe during the bye week they decide to give him more work, or just in this matchup they give him more work. But you're, you're sort of gambling there. Mm-hmm. Even you know, even the matchup in the passing game isn't great for Sanders. The the uh, Patriots have allowed the fourth fewest running back catches, the fifth fewest running back receiving yards. Yeah, if you have Lamar Jackson, then you can maybe exploit a weakness against the Patriots defense. Otherwise, they're pretty strong in a lot of areas. Cincinnati at Oakland is next. The Raiders are 10.5-point home favorites. That is where it's at for the Bengals right now. That's where it's at for the Raiders, too, though. They they can make the playoffs. I was going to say, the Raiders carry the highest implied team total for the week, which is more than a full point ahead of the Chiefs for the week. And that speaks to not only how far the Bengals have sunk, but it also speaks to the Raiders. They're just 15th in scoring, 13th though in yards, 24 plus points in six straight games, over 375 yards in five of those six games, sixth best in the league in yards per play right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, kudos to John Gruden. I think on, on the Raiders side, Josh Jacobs is the obvious player. You know, he in Raiders wins, he's averaged 22 carries per game. I think you know he he should get there in this spot. I think Derek Carr is definitely an option. The concern for me with Carr is just passing volume. The Raiders are already the sixth run heaviest offense, and and teams just pound the ball against the Bengals. The Bengals have faced the fewest pass attempts in the league this season. So the risk with Carr is that he just doesn't throw much and doesn't get 
the touchdowns, but there, there's going to be touchdowns to go around here. So I do think, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Carr throws it 28 times, but throws two touchdowns. Right. Carr has been an efficient passer this year, both in terms of completion rate and yards per attempt. So I think he's still a solid bet in QB1 territory. I'd play him over guys like Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and Phillip Rivers. I would play him over those two. I, I prefer Kyle Allen as a spot starter this week over Derek Carr. I think that Derek Carr is safer, but I, mm-hmm. they're basically even heading into this week. Yeah, I yeah again, I just think Allen's going to have to throw it more. Darren Waller is down mm-hmm. overall. So, I mean, Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Tyrell Williams, Darren Waller, I think, are all sturdy, too strong starters this week in fantasy. Waller, though, seven total targets over his past two games. Two, two, and three catches in his past three. His playing time's been fine. Right. He still has just three games for the year where he's been under seven targets. So is he a sell before heading into this matchup, like using this matchup as a selling point? I'd say only if you have another one of those, you know, top five or six tight ends. You know, like you said, Darren Waller has still run a pass route on 80 and then 81% of the dropbacks over the past two weeks. So that, you know, that that's a fine number. I think the, the production will come back for him. Again, the, the worry in this matchup is overall volume, but the Bengals are 31st in football outsiders tight end coverage. Yeah, I could see moving Waller if it's like a package where you're getting back Jared Cook and you're upgrading at wide receiver or running back yeah. as a result of giving Waller. Yeah, Jared Cook or Gerald Everett, who I think is another guy to buy right now. I think, you know, Everett at this point has been just as good a volume bet as Darren Waller over the past month or so. Mm-hmm. And I do think overall Waller is a a sellable option, not somebody to, to get away from because, again, the playing time's there. But yeah. he's still – his overall numbers are inflated by the big games against Minnesota and Green Bay. Yeah, I definitely think he's sellable. I, j- I just don't think I'd sell him if it meant I'm going to have to be streaming tight end the rest no, of the yeah. season. No, I, I wouldn't do that because streaming tight end is an ugly place <laughs> to be at the moment. Yep. Hunter Renfro, only if you need him. Yeah, Cincinnati is allowed the fourth most fantasy points to slot receivers. So, you know, it's a good matchup for Renfro like it is for all these guys. But again, I just don't think we're going to get a whole lot of passing volume in general from Oakland here. And Hunter Renfro is only playing about half the snaps. He's had two games all year with more than five targets. Yeah. On the Bengals side, it's Tyler Boyd, it's Joe Mixon who got 30 carries last week, and it's nobody else. Yeah, no one else. Um, You, you mentioned Tyler Eifert before. Um, He did score last week after he had that, you know, semi-big game before the bye, but he was down to a 31% snap rate last week, which is, you know, close to where he was for most of the season. So he's not a guy I'm trusting. Right. And even though they got blown out last week, they threw 30 passes versus 30 Joe Mixon rushes. (laughs) So even if they get blown out in this game, I don't think that we can count on 40 plus pass attempts from Ryan Finley. Right. I I think Auden Tate is in play too, though, um, you know, as like a wide receiver for um, you know, he's he's still a full-time player here. He saw a 20% target share from Ryan Finley last week, and the Raiders have allowed the eighth most fantasy points to outside wide receivers. I would rather play Philip Dorsett than Auden Tate this week. I, I mean, I think Tate's a better volume bet. I mean, I think Dorsett's a, a better bet to be more efficient, obviously, in the matchup and playing with Tom Brady. Yeah, give me five Philip Dorsett yeah. targets over 10 That's Tate it's, targets. It's, it's, it's close. Chicago at the Rams on Sunday night. Rams are six and a half point home favorites, just a 40 point over under. So it's 23.25 implied points for the Rams. That's tied for just 12th on the week and tied with three other teams. So like middle of the league, actually a little bit lower than middle of the league considering the buys. Those three other teams are Houston, Buffalo, and Indy. So Vegas doesn't think that the Rams can outscore Josh Allen and Jacoby Brissett this week. The only good thing I can say for the Rams in this spot is that they're at home. And I mean, they have been better at home, but I mean, the, the, the Bears D isn't what it was last year, but it's still an above average defense. And the Rams line has already been bad this season and they just lost their right tackle and their center. Um, their center's out for the season, right? And the right tackle is going to be out for a few weeks. So I, I'm concerned for 
Jared Goff's pass protection, and I'm concerned for the blocking in front of Todd Gurley. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Brandon Cooks has already been ruled out, so he's not going to play. Josh Reynolds is in consideration again. He's a fringe guy. I would play him over Auden Tate. I would too. Uh, I mean, we got, you know, Reynolds was out there for basically every snap last week, which is what we expected. Saw five targets. It was only a 12% target share, so that's a little concerning. And I just, Reynolds doesn't have the upside he did last year just because this Rams offense isn't the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, Jared Goff is, is the next guy to go to. I think he's a QB2 at best and like mid QB2 territory. I would rather play Phillip Rivers than Jared Goff, especially yeah. because Rivers is in a shootout spot against Kansas City. Even at home, Goff has just one game all season with a QB rating higher than 80.3. You know, you can say what you want about QB rating, but if you're playing well, you're going to get some numbers there. Yeah, I mean, he, he he's finished as a top nine fantasy quarterback in three of his four home games this season. So, you know, that trend has sort of continued. He, he also finished 28th that week against the Niners. And I don't know, this game to me sort of smells like it could go the way that Niners game went. And one of those games was inflated by the volume against the uh, Tampa Bay where he threw three picks and attempted like 812 <laughs> passes. Yep, correct. Um, and his one good game by passer rating at home this year was a 283-yard one-touchdown performance against the Saints way back in, in week two. He only has four games among his nine for the season where Goff has thrown at least two touchdown passes. Yeah, quarterback two this week. Uh, I'd start Rivers over him. I'd start Kobe Brissett. I'd start Garoppolo. I'd start Kyle Allen. Yeah, sounds pretty, like we might need easily. to knock Goff a little further down the rankings this week. At tight end, Tyler Higby did not practice Wednesday with a knee issue. He's not a fantasy option anyway. He left the Pittsburgh game early last week. If that injury keeps him out, though, it only helps yeah. the outlook for Gerald Everett. And Everett was on the injury report with a wrist injury. Um, he was limited in practice, so I, I, he should be fine. We'll just keep an eye on that. Um, Gerald Everett second among tight ends behind only Travis Kelsey in targets since week four. And it's been a steady barrage of targets too. He has five plus looks in five of his last six games. He has eight plus looks in four of his last six games. So, and, and, and this matchup's going to be, you know, we've talked about it. Zach Ertz had the big game against Chicago. Chicago is much tougher against wide receivers than tight ends. So, and, and, and beyond that with pressure concerns on Jared Goff, I could see a bunch of short passes to Everett in this game. Yeah, I could too. Let's hope that the wrist injury only limits his off-the-field um, activities. Uh, for for Todd Gurley, I still just believe in the Rams getting scoring chances here and them going to him and him getting the touches more so than Brian Hill with the Falcons on the road and a, an offense that struggled to run the ball for most of the season. I, 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 I think that's where we differ is I don't trust the Rams to move the ball and score points here. And, that's true. That's you know, Gurley... Hasn't looked like himself, and the Rams are clearly, they have some type of cap on his like weekly volume. Like the last three games, he has 18 carries and one target, 10 carries and one target, 12 carries and four targets. Like You're, you're just not going to get the 25 touch games out of Todd Gurley anymore. Yeah, it's fair. All right, so we'll finish up with the Monday night contest between Kansas City and... No, let's go back and do the Bears side. Let's not skip that. Oh, them. do we have to? <laughs> we do. Yeah. On the Chicago side, I'm only playing Allen Robinson, though. Yeah, I mean, I think Montgomery's in play deeper down just because of the volume. I mean, he, he did still get another seven car- 17 carries last week, but um, Allen Robinson, clearly the best play. He's going to see the Jalen Ramsey shadow, but Jalen Ramsey hasn't been good since arriving to the Rams. Um, he's actually 90th in... PFF's coverage grades among 122 uh, qualifying corners over that span. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, uh, David Montgomery is certainly in play, but in our rankings, guys behind him that I would take a shot on ahead of Montgomery, Carlos Hyde, Ronald Jones, Kenyon Drake, Philip Lindsay, 
James White and Austin Eckler. All those besides Eckler, I guess, are fine. I just I, I don't trust Eckler's volume at this point. <laughs> I don't trust David Montgomery's volume at this I point. Mean, I would rather bet on the Chargers than the Bears. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, me too. But if, if you throw away that one fluky, it was like a two carry game. Montgomery's volume has been pretty steady. I mean, give me give me ten Austin Eckler touches over fifteen uh, David Montgomery touches. I, I'm fine with Eckler over Montgomery in PPR. Sweet. All right. We're going to revisit the running back rankings right. after this show then. Kansas City at the Chargers Monday night in Mexico City. The final game on the slate. The Chiefs are four-point favorites. A 52.5 point over-under is the highest of the week, of course, because Patrick Mahomes is back. And he put up huge numbers against the Titans last week. And that makes it a pretty simple game here to figure out for fantasy. Yep. Start all the regular guys. I think that includes Sammy Watkins, who you know hasn't had a big game since since week one, right? Um, but he's seen eight, ten, and nine targets over the past three games. He's playing basically every snap. So g- give me a guy getting that volume playing with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, it's still not a great matchup with Desmond King in the slot. But you know, again, somebody that's in your lineup. Uh, and Demarcus Robinson is the third receiver over yeah. Nicole Hardman. Still, unless you just want to bet on Nicole Hardman scoring the sixty-yard touchdown. Yeah, I'm like six snaps and like one target. It's <laughs> crazy. I mean, I mean he, he should be playing more, but until he is, I don't think you can trust him. Um, Damon Williams, obviously I think is back to an every week starter. We'll, we'll see if LaShawn McCoy plays this week. You know, he, he was inactive and the Chiefs said they were giving him a, a week off basically. We'll, we'll see if that's the case and if he's back this week, but I think Damian has solidified himself as the lead guy for now. Yeah. 19 carries five targets against the Titans last week. Strong play in this matchup. And I'm here for LaShawn McCoy just fading away. Yep. On the other side, the Chargers, Phillip Rivers on the starter fringe. We mentioned that I think there's likely a volume boost here in what should be a shootout. I mean, I think the Chargers go into this game trying to run it as much as possible. I mean, that's what basically everyone does against Kansas City. But mm-hmm. I, it's possible, probably likely even, that the Chiefs jump out to a lead. Um, Rivers had two big games against the Chiefs last year. 424 yards and three touchdowns, 313 and two touchdowns. And he has all the guys that mattered in those matchups last year. Keenan Allen, Hunter Henry are obvious starters. Mike Williams is going to score a touchdown <laughs> at some point this year. He scored several of them against the Chiefs late last season. So th- this is the week I'm jumping off of Mike Williams. So this is nice. the week he goes I'm gonna off. I'm going to play him against you. Um, he, he has just three targets in two straight games now. And the Chiefs, too have allowed the second fewest fantasy points to outside wide receivers. They've been a much easier matchup for slot guys. Mm -hmm. Melvin Gordon's easier to start now after his true breakthrough game against the Raiders. And I think Austin Eckler, just eight touches last week, two targets, did play 45% of the time, though. I think the shootout, I I, I think it's likely to be a shootout here. I don't think that we're going to get a huge Melvin Gordon game and, like, salt away the game against the Chiefs. So I think that we'll get a few more shots for Eckler. Yeah, I just think at this point with Eckler, you have to assume he's back in the role he was last year. And that role, you know, still made him a running back three on the season, and he had spiked weeks. And, you know, he he should be efficient on the ground this week, and he still is, I think, the lead pass catching back on this team. Chiefs have allowed the ninth most running back catches and the second most running back receiving yards. So, you know, when he does get the ball in the passing game, there's upside for Eckler. Yeah, they should head into this game planning to use both of those guys plenty because that's, like, the advantage that they have. For sure. We'll see how that goes. That I, you know, he, he's still though in that fringe where you're weighing Eckler against David somebody Montgomery. else who's who's yeah who's getting more touches but not nearly as good. It'll definitely be more fun to play Eckler and watch him on a Monday night than to play David Montgomery and watch him on Sunday night. Absolutely. That's going to do it for this Week 11 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see exactly how we project all these players and rank them against each other for Week 11 and for the rest of the season. And check out our final buy-sell-hold report of the year for suggestions on how to improve your roster 
for the stretch run. We're all trying to win championships here. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Schaaf saying thanks so much for swimming with us.